You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a melding pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Australia. I'm Shauna. I help connect tech companies with top tech talent. And today I'm your host. So welcome back to another Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I am joined by three senior leaders within the Sydney technology industry, where we'll be discussing the topic of effective leadership. We're going to cover areas such as who needs leadership, other things like can everyone become a leader, empathy, and much more. Um, but I think first thing is first, before we jump into our discussion and our topics, if we could all maybe introduce our panelists. Um, so I'll start with Ilyas. Tell us a bit about yourself. Thank you, Shona. My name is Ilyas Anam. I am the managing director at Vitable that I co-founded in 2019. Uh, Vitable is a health tech company that is a leader today in personalized nutrition in Australia and Southeast Asia. So basically, we're helping consumers find out the vitamins and health supplement that they actually need. And we help them monitor their results with a holistic guidance so that they can achieve real results for the health and wellness in the easiest way possible. So I am passionate about health, I'm passionate about tech, and uh, effective leadership, I believe, has been the main ingredient that made Vitable uh, a leader in this market. So hopefully, I've got a few uh, interesting learnings to share with you today. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and Rob, tell us a bit about yourself. Hi there. Uh, thanks for having me, Shauna. Um, so I'm Robert Love. I'm currently the CTO of QControl. So QControl is Australia's first uh, venture capital-backed quantum technology uh, startup. Well, I'd say we're a, a scale-up now. Um, so what I do there is I lead the uh, engineering teams and um, I, mean, I essentially ensure that the, uh, the scientific R&D that happens on, on one side of the company, the, the clever guys, the guys with the PhDs in, in physics, I ensure that, that translates effectively into, uh, into product development. Um, so uh, QControls recently celebrated its fifth birthday just in uh, November last year. Um, and essentially what we do, we're essentially focused on accelerating the pathway to quantum advantage. Uh, what we try and do is we, we try and uh, develop intelligent infrastructure software, that's what we like to call it, uh, to correct errors, um, autonomously stabilise hardware and build the next trillion dollar greenfield industry. There's my spiel. How would you like that? That was amazing. Really excited now to hear what, what you bring to the table. <laughs> yeah. um, thank you so much, Rob. Um, last, but by all means not least, Chris, tell us about yourself. Next time, can I go first so I don't have to follow that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm Chris Kalenko. Uh, right now, I'm in a bit of a midlife crisis as uh, as, as I've grown my last two children from, from two to four, uh, where I'm just contracting right now. But my, my other title before I was contracting was head of platform and head of DevOps, and I held that title for four years um, across a sort of uh, they were a startup, but they were a startup for like 10 years. So I don't really like to call them startup. They had like 400 employees across uh, Asia Pacific. Uh, and we and I helped grow the team from sort of one to, to sort of 20-ish at the end of uh, my, my journey there. But right now I'm exploring uh, different startups and different ideas and business ideas and really trying to find what I really want to do for the next 10 years. Um, but like I said, I've been a leader for, for many, many years now. Uh, when I do do my contracting work, it's still leading a team in some sort of capacity. Incredible yeah. stuff. 
Thank Over you here. so much, everyone. Um, so let's get stuck into the subtopics. Um, so we've had some really interesting topics brought to this effective leadership discussion today. Um, and I think it makes sense to start off with Ilias. Um, you brought, you know, your first topic is around what is leadership simply? Why does it matter? And who needs leadership? Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about your take on that, Ilias? And um, then we put it to the floor. Sure. Yeah, I believe it's, it's super important to define uh, leadership so we can really understand how to and exchange on, on tips on how to uh, develop better leadership. So to me, um, the success of any business is really all about execution and what execution needs is leadership. Why? Because business is a team sport, um, like you need to work uh, as a team, but I don't believe business um, is a democratic democratic environment. You need uh, one leader, you need someone who will make a decision, and you need uh, someone that people will follow in this decision. And that's the hard part, right? So leadership is actually important for um, business owners, but for uh, any manager, uh, I believe. You need to set uh, a vision and you need to, you need to make everyone uh, accept and work for it intensely. So um, if you're not born a natural, charismatic, inspiring leader that everyone uh, automatically loves, respects, listens to and follows, how can you become a good manager if, uh, that, if leadership is something that uh, really almost everyone needs uh, in a business? And, and that was a real question for me because uh, when I started Vitable, uh, my current company, I was 24 years old. And I started directly with a team. Um, and uh, almost my first experience as a manager uh, in my team, uh, we ha I had like a, a wide diversity of, of profile, of edges, and so on. Uh, and I was never the cliche of this charismatic, inspiring leader, and, and so on that you see on the news. <laughs> so, uh, how to become a leader? Can everyone become a leader? What is the best leadership style? What really question that I felt that I really need? Uh, so people can in my team can uh, uh, be confident in, in the company, in the direction of the company, and so we could all work uh, effectively as a team. So um, actually, what I've learned, uh, and maybe one of my first mistakes initially, um, is uh, that managers who try to be a bit bossy to force respect can only get the minimum uh, out of people and, and employees. Um, mm. So. Uh, figuring out what was the best leadership type and if they're researching as the best leadership type uh, uh, was really a big question for me. But maybe, um, Rob or Chris, you, you want to yeah. answer this question? Um, who'd like to go first? I, I think one thing that uh, stood out, I think you mentioned, uh, Elias, about, um, about leadership uh, not being a democracy. You said it's not a democracy, and I've thought about that um, quite a bit, I think, uh, throughout my career, especially mm -hmm. late. Um, uh, and I think I actually do try and uh, tell the other leads in the team to, to think of it like a democracy, to think of leadership uh, like a country in many ways. And, um, um, you know, you, you, you're setting, um, whether you're setting uh, policies and procedures, ways of working, effective ways of working, uh, and you're applying those uh, procedures just like a, a judge in a court of law might apply the law in, in a country um, with, the, with the citizenship. But um, I think you're right there. there needs, the buck needs to stop somewhere. Mm. Um, and um, and uh, a dictatorial um, uh, style of leadership is is generally not the best. I think you you've realised that. And you you remember that that cartoon, the difference between the boss 
cracking the whip from behind as opposed to the leader who's pulling the team. Uh, <laughs> we always think of that. So maybe it's more of a kind of a benevolent uh, dictatorship. You know, you're surrounding yourself with, with really uh, talented people and you're taking inputs um, from those people and eventually, you know, the, the, the buck stops with you and you make a, an informed decision based on that. As you were talking there, Braveheart popped in my head. Uh, you know, with the, the war paint on the face, leading out there, giving the good speeches, rallying people behind you, uh, being the first one to run into trouble, uh, mm. and always taking the blame first too, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's your fault if the team fails as a leader. But yeah. that's not a bad thing either, right? Like it's, it shouldn't no. be weaponized against you. It's just. We made a mistake or it didn't work out. Let's move on. How do we learn from this? And putting that a part of your culture is very important. Uh, another thing that stands out to me uh, about this, about the whole, uh, when we're talking about benevolent dictator, uh, I think that's the word we used, uh, yeah. the decision-making process. I found that every company that is slow moving has a really poor decision-making process uh, where the manager, like I, I don't know how many times I've or I've heard from my 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 line managers as as a you know as a senior engineer during my career a long time ago, or even even recently where the the the, the C level will go, you make the decision and you come to us with the solution, and I'm like, guys, I brought you two solutions here and I just need help you making a decision. Um, so <laughs> I find that if if you if you're Companies struggling to move fast, it's just because the decision making is slow. And it's okay to make decisions. And even if they're not right, you can always reverse those decisions. I, I remember reading in a book a long, long time ago saying the only bad decision is one you don't make because um, it wastes time. You don't learn from a non decision. So I think if I would say, like general business advice for any company, is do you have a good decision-making framework? <laughs> and that needs to be done, set up by the leadership. Like, you, you know, you can't ask the juniors or the senior team members to come up with a decision-making framework. That needs to come from leadership. So mm -hmm. that would be my two cents around that. So no, I, I, sorry, sorry, jump in here, Sean. Uh, this is uh, quite fun. Uh, but there's a couple of... Yeah, uh, go for it. I really, I really like the, um, the, the comments um, about, you know, putting yourself first and, and sort of protecting the team and, you know, copying the flack first and, and having a culture that actually supports that and that it shouldn't be punished because that's a fine, fine balance. I mean, I've found in Q control, it's certainly like that. You know, you can, you can really wear your heart on your sleeve, put yourself out there, and you're not going to get in trouble for that. You know, risks mm -hmm. are rewarded in many ways. Um, but there, there are certainly companies out, where, out there where that is not rewarded and you need to be, be careful of that and, and try and be active, I think, in trying to change that culture, which sometimes is a very, very difficult thing to do, especially in a very large company. Absolutely. I think as well, it's, that's such a good point there, what you've made. It's almost like in, in terms of making decisions, sometimes if decisions aren't being made, is it because people are afraid to take the blame? And then it's almost looking at, okay, what is the leadership style here? You know, is it someone that actually leads by example and carries, you know, the team and like supports them as like, it's okay to make mistakes or is there like a, a blame kind of um, point the finger sort of environment, isn't it? Um, and it definitely comes from leadership. But then if you think about that, it also looks at the leaders, who are their leaders? So it takes us on to Ilias's last point, which is like, who needs leadership um and what does that look like what's your thoughts on that question so really i think um every managers 
um, every manager needs leadership because every manager yeah. is managing someone um, and you need leadership. Um, not uh, for the same responsibilities, but um, it's still kind of pyramidal in um, every companies, even if it doesn't look uh, like it. You always have uh, CEOs, you always have teams, departments, no matter the organization, um, it's a common point. And uh, Chris, you said that uh, the worst decisions that are the decisions that are not made. Um, but I think that the trick is that when you do make a decision, uh, but when nobody is accept accepting that or following that, it's just like if no decision was made. And I think that really is the impotence of leadership here and what every manager is facing um, because the right decision is not enough. You need not only to have the, to decide on something and you need people to uh, execute. Um, and I think the skill of leadership is, um, is, is important for that. So um, I think um, back to your comment about dictatorial style of leadership um, as being something that does not work. Um, from my experience, I actually came to the conclusion that um, leadership is somehow the art of um, submission. Like you need to submit to the needs of your teams. Just like uh, leadership at company level is, is to me defined by its ability to uh, submit to the needs of its uh, clients. Um, your team or employees have different level of skills and motivation for any given task. And those are the two criteria that I've, I've learned to, to consider. Um, if you have someone in your team that is extremely skilled at uh, a specific task and motivated for something, uh, you do need to learn to trust and uh, delegate 100%. Uh, that's how you preserve uh, motivation so they can give their best. But I've also been working with uh, more junior people who were sometimes very motivated for something with no skills at all for uh, a new kind of task. And for that, what I uh, learned is that they actually lack and, and need them to be uh, uh, micromanaging everything so they can learn. And, uh, and that's really something that uh, shocked me because when I started my company, I mainly started with juniors. So I, had, I was quite uh, dictatorial in my approach. I tried to have control over everything. And it was something that actually worked because they needed that. And then when I started to hire more senior people, I was trying to teach them how to do their job in field that I was not experienced at all. And it did not work at all. It didn't work for their motivation, it did, like nothing worked. And I could not figure out why it was working for some people and not working for other people. So my kind of uh, immediate natural reaction was, oh, I hired the wrong people. They are not, uh, you know, uh, good for team working or something like this. But I actually learned very quickly that the issue was for me because I was trying to have my own uh, leadership style that I built that working for some people and I'll try to apply that to everyone, right? And actually, uh, leadership is all about adaptation. What do your team need uh, based on their skills and motivation for a given task? And, and that's why I was saying that, yeah, leadership is really how to, uh, uh, the art of submission in a way. <clears throat> you need to learn to adapt. Sometimes you need to be very directive. Sometimes you need to delegate 100%. So that, that's really my, my big take on, on, um, on leadership and how to make sure that not only you, you make decisions for business, but uh, as a team, everyone is able to really follow through and, and execute. And when, when you said submission before, sorry, sorry to cut you off there. No, um, go ahead. Is a, is a different word compromise or are they different? For you, like is submission and compromise different or is it very similar, just different words? 
Yeah, so there is no compromise at all. It's really about um, you can either decide to be right uh, when you're the boss, or you can say to win, right? Um, and uh, when you start, when I started at least, I uh, it's also an ego thing. You 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 have the power to to decide at the end of the day, so you can decide that everyone is wrong and that you're right. Um, but you can also decide to win, and for that you need to uh, let go of your ego. And uh, it's not about compromission. It's about really understanding um, what um, uh, is the right vision, and from here, what do your does your team needs to execute? So the vision will always come from uh, from you, but then the execution. That's how it's not about compromising. It's about adapting because your job as a manager is not to do the work of everyone; is to make sure that everyone is, is set up for success, right? So uh, if you hire uh, designers or engineers or, or uh, anyone, you don't want to be the one who does the job, you want to make sure that they have everything they need. And they need you as a manager. What they need from you is a vision, is support, is a way to be accountable. And for that, uh, sometimes you do need to be in a collaborative mode. Sometimes you do need to be very directive. Sometimes you do need to delegate uh, 100%, not uh, delegate the direction of the business, but delegate the execution of your vision. Um, and yeah, I feel like uh, I've spawned another thousand questions like mm -hmm. right now, like we, we just <laughs> talked about compromising, uh, right. And then the first thing that popped in my head is, all right, what about if your team wants to do a solution and you compromise on that solution, but against it's against market validation. So I'm like, uh, that, that's the first thing I'm like, okay, cool. Like your team wants to build the product in this direction, but the market is saying we want this direction. How do you do? You have to go back and then reevaluate the decisions, or do you trust your employees and go down that road until till you till you <laughs> you take a product to market that might not be the right fit, or or do you have to, or do, do you put in steps where you can then cycle that around in sort of delivery times and sort of. Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's really the, the most important question when it comes to to to, to leadership. Um, uh, so I, I've used one framework that has been recommended by my friend uh, Ben um, that I found extremely helpful for that. This framework is um, vision, expectation, support, and accountability. I think that uh, your role as a manager, uh, no matter where you are in the hierarchy, is to uh, convey the vision of the business. Um, you need to set a clear and competing vision for your team um, that uh, can be also very inspiring for uh, everyone. So they understand why uh, are we doing all of the projects, the, what the purpose in all of that. Second step is to set expectation in terms of uh, the scope of the role, uh, the uh, um, outcome of uh, of the of the work and the projects. Um, for that, you need them to set to understand how you can support your team. And the most important is the last step of accountability. Um, accountability. So what we did at Vitable, for instance, is that everyone is working on a few KPIs and they are accountable on that on a weekly basis. So every week, they need to report how some KPIs are uh, improving. And when you um, use KPI, um, the value of that is that you can afford to have any kind of uh, ideas and uh, and projects because the KPIs will be aligned with the vision. That's how the KPI has been defined in the first place. But from here, um, it becomes something good to fail because um, failure becomes not uh, like uh, making sure that we don't take any risk, but uh, you actually do need to take risk 
um, even if it fails, so your business has a chance to progress. And then uh, that kind of redefines the, the, uh, uh, this notion of, of compromise because you can trust um, uh, ideas from anyone because everyone knows that there will be only one way to judge if the idea was right or wrong. And it won't be a debate, it won't be something subjective, it won't be something uh, contextual, uh, it will be very clear. Uh, okay, let's write that as fast as possible. Did it work? Yes, no. How can we learn from that? And let's progress. Because what matters at the end of the day um, is not how well a project was executed, but what was the impact for the business. So when you place the um, observation at this level, um, then everyone becomes very aligned because everyone understands that it's not about opinion, it's not about ideas, it's about how everyone can really make an impact on the business and everyone is accountable on a weekly basis. So I feel like, Chris, there's just, there's just almost too much to unpack here. <laughs> you know, yeah, um, brilliant. But, um, I think going back to uh, probably uh, some comments that you made uh, way earlier, Elias, I think uh, you, you were talking about uh, different people uh, requiring different management styles. Um, and I think that's, that's actually very true. That's something that I learned um, along the way as well by, you know, trial by fire. Um, and I think essentially boil that down to just being open-minded, um, you know, to, uh, to something that we used to say to, uh, at a company a few years back, Apollonizer, which was a startup incubator. We, we used to value uh, being learners rather than knowers. You know, we don't want to be right. We want to keep an open mind so we get to the right solution. So being, being learners, being lifelong learners rather than knowers. We don't want to, we're not trying to win in every conversation um, we have. And I think you're right. Different people require very different management styles and that can be a difficult thing to do. Um, you know, some people require more direction. Some people, um, usually, partic uh, particularly designers really, because they're just a an explosion of ideas. You need to almost contain them <laughs> in a way. They're just... They're, they're so full on. Um, yeah. so, so I think a different management styles is a, is a, a huge one there. Yeah, I, I've got the first thing that I thought about for, for today's topic was empathy. And that's definitely tying back to all that, right? You're not going to be, no one has comes from the same walks of life. No one thinks the same. Everyone, you know, no one, no opinions right or wrong. Like there's many ways to, to, to solve mm -hmm. a problem. So empathy really comes down to it, right? And, uh, you know, uh, if you can, Use empathy as a tool, to, as in your, your leadership style, you're going to find that you will create a better culture for your company where they can come to you early when problems happen because they know that it's not going to be weaponized against them. And mm -hmm. you can then understand them, slow them down, and help them through whatever difficult areas. And you got to remember, people have got lives after work too. So right, that can seep in. Like if you've had a bad day mm -hmm. at home and things like that, we should all care about our fellow human being because that's just the right thing to do as human humans um so if they have a bad day at home or they need a bit of time off i don't really care like you know if there was something urgent like we all jump in and help that that fellow colleague out so they can take some time off for themselves i don't mm -hmm. even report it in hr normally and say yeah just take a couple of hours don't worry about it you know yeah you know it will come back around it always comes back around Brilliant. you give a little we'll get a little bit back too right when when my team's crunching you know, a, you know, an all-nighter, uh, they're not mm -hmm. asking me like, the next day, oh, that's it, I'm not coming in for, you know, six and a half hours that I stay back. Like, you know, it just balances out over time. And that's all because the, the, the leadership style was around people. Mm -hmm. That having that empathy and having that as a framework to, to, to have conversations with, with your team allows a lot more things to happen. And it's, it's a lot safer for everyone. There's no 
psychologically, psychological, what do they call it? Psychological instability and or uh, I can't I can't remember the actual. I think it was psychological terms, safety. I think it was yeah. one of the, the ladies mentioned before in in a podcast. It's really interesting. Oh uh, yeah, definitely. And and that all stems from empathy, right? If you if you start with empathy, then that stuff comes really easy. Uh, mm. I, I I I've been in situations where the psychological safety wasn't there. Yeah, and it's not fun. It's not fun. And you're you're not you're not going. Hey, I really want to be here and give it my hundred percent. You're like. Hey, uh, do you have any jobs available for me? Uh, you know, our lovely recruitment <laughs> people, uh, and I'm open for work. I, I think LinkedIn have got that. Like anyone that says I'm open to network, maybe they're not. Like that, there could be a possibility there in a psychological unsafe, unsafe yeah. environment. And you can always sell those places, Chris. I think because you walk behind the monitors and you can just see seek and LinkedIn jobs open. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's like a bit of a and, trend, and, and they look like golems, like like. Like quickly <laughs> switching the tab, right? That's right. Um, and you're like, oh my gosh. Oh. Yeah. So uh, I think Brilliant. that that's what I really want to like. As soon as you, I talk about leader. When I when I heard about today's topic, I went straight to the people aspect. Yeah. Not the business delivery sort of aspect of leadership. And mm. the first thing was hyper empathy and hyper trust, right? And they're all just trusting your employees uh, to do a good job and. If they've got problems, don't weaponize it. <laughs> if I could boil them down into an elevator pitch, that's what I would say. It and and everybody is different. Uh, I try and encourage opposite opinions, but then go back to what what um what we're talking about earlier, which is don't let that cripple decisions. Like and yeah. we have that decision making frame in, and don't let when a decision is made. Don't let that person who wanted the other decision to keep trying to push for his pathway. He needs to yeah. be fully supportive of the decision that was made and rally behind that decision. Mm-hmm. So that all ties together really well. Uh, in, many, in many ways, the, the empathy is probably the base material um, for the execution that comes later. Mm. It's really interesting, actually, that even the framework Elias just talked through there um, and how it, yeah, like it's almost like empathy and put the framework on top of it. It's almost like a perfect little potion for leadership there isn't it um really interesting i have to say guys yeah, um, the framework that you mentioned as well i think i saw um shauna making some notes um when you were yes. using that framework. But, uh, but the frameworks like that are, i find very useful just recently Q control yeah. we've just implemented um okrs um which is probably very similar um to what you're talking about and you know i think quite famous lots of people have, have heard of okrs um yeah. and they're, they're very they're very useful for setting that overall vision and having that filtered down um, through departments, divisions, teams, all the way down to individuals. Um, I don't think we've got it right right now. It's our, it's our first crack at it, um, <laughs> um, but we'll be we'll be refi- refining that as we go. Um, and even but you were talking about you know setting that vision and set that context and who needs who needs leadership. Um, yeah. Even who, even if we use the word management, who needs to be managed? I think the word management doesn't have a very nice ring to it. Um, I, I don't think. And in a lot of ways, I think particularly as a company grows. Um, you know, when you when you kind of reach that fifty mark and then heading towards the hundred mark, it becomes mainly about setting context. The way I like to think about it, the way I've always thought about it is if um if you've got kids or even if you like bowling, if you've ever been to bumper bowling, um you know you've got those guardrails um down the bowling alley, and it's just yeah. those guardrails, you know, just, yeah. just those guardrails to make sure that we're all you know on the same page, going the same direction, not going off the rails, not going into the gutter, but heading towards the pins. That's kind of the analogy I like to think about when I'm 
trying to do it. Yeah, no, that's excellent. Brilliant. I'm loving us also how all you three as leaders are recognizing uh, you, you can easily just say, oh, I made a mistake here or this is something that I did incorrectly and I learned from it. Um, personally, I think that's a, a great leadership trait to have is to recognize, you know, that as well. Um, so you just so mentioned something great there, but I love <laughs> asking people that in interviews, right? What mistakes yeah. have you done? And, and surprisingly, like they, you can see where they're, they, they say, oh, I've never made a mistake. I'm like, oh, my man. <laughs> I, I made a mistake yesterday. <laughs> yeah. It's probably <laughs> I think a I made nice 50 this week. Like, made the bad decisions, made the, like, said the wrong words, accidentally offended somebody by mistake. Um, mm. uh, and then, like, okay, cool. And I had to go and apologize. Little things like that happen day to day. And you're telling me you've never made a mistake in your 10 year career as an engineer? I'm like, yeah. wow. <laughs> You've you know, often that, can that, that can be a Great cultural question. thing as well, Chris. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. That's, yeah. that's what I, I, I always try and see that, to see, you know, where they've been in different companies and whether they've yeah. had that safety. And then during the interview, I always say, listen, this is not going to be weaponized. And I'm not going to use this. I, yeah. I actually want to see what you learned from that. And then trying to make sure they don't feel like, because it's an interviewee situation. Um, I, yeah. I try and say it's positive they make mistakes because then you've yeah. learned. You've learnt through trial of fire, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, quickly. Yeah, um, so, it's, yeah it's also so useful, like useful to see, um, useful to, I think, uh, you know, for yourself uh, and for the people that you're leading to help them reframe mistakes as opportunities as well. Um, you know, it's mm-hmm. a, you know, you, something may have gone wrong, but that's an opportunity to write it and to do it better um, next time. Yeah. It's a really good question, actually, to ask in interviews because it also opens up your leadership style as well. To feel like oh, this manager is telling me mistakes that he's made, um, so it's a, straight away you kind of have that um, healthy kind of psychological safety vibe, even in the interview. I think that's a great question. Um, definitely, um, great stuff. So I know we've kind of touched on heaps of we've jumped through a couple of different topics there um within the effective leadership and there's one that Ilias um his final sort of topic was can everyone become a leader um what do you think yeah well based on what everything shared uh now i believe that uh yes um because essentially leadership is the ability to uh, communicate your vision so um your team can uh, understand and and buy it and uh, I don't think that what we discuss here is linked to um, any kind of personality, but more uh, how do you uh, think of your business and how do you communicate with your employees uh, or, you, or with your team? Um, because I think at the end of the day, um, leadership um, is really linked to a topic of uh, motivation of your team. Um, I think a good metric of good leadership is uh, how committed your team is. Um, if your team is doing the minimum uh, with a good enough mindset. I think that's when you need to question your uh, your leadership, and that's something uh, healthy to do. And and it will never be perfect. It will always go up and down. Um, but yeah, I think based on what we said, uh, I hope um, I, I can really relate from experience on what we said. And uh, again, I don't think I'm um, the cliche of the natural leader, but I do believe that the level of commitment at Bitable is extremely high. So I believe that we have a collective leadership that really work because we push really uh, uh, the individuals in the middle of, of that and the motivation uh, at the middle of it. So hopefully uh, the audience can can feel that everyone can yeah, progress on, on this leadership topic. 
Absolutely. Um, what do you think, Rob? Well, um, you know, when you ask the question, can um, someone become a leader, you, you, I automatically think, you know, should someone become a leader? And um, and Ilias was saying, you know, this doesn't necessarily have uh, something to do with a personality trait uh, to make um, a good leader. Um, it'd be interesting to, to dig deeper into that because um, yeah, if, uh, if Chris is talking about, you know, empathy um, being key um, to leadership, what if you're not an empathetic person? Um, you know, yeah. can, can you fake it? You know, can you fake <laughs> being a good leader or is there something, you know, aptitudinal required uh, for you to be an effective leader or is it just enough to know the tools and the techniques? Mm. Okay, uh, just on that, um, I think I will shock you and maybe uh, many people will help me now, but I believe um, you can uh, fake it in, in a way. And, you know, back to the empathy point that you made, uh, Chris, I believe there is uh, an even deeper level of empathy that um, sometimes go beyond, beyond the, um, psychological safety and uh, that can be very counterintuitive. So let me give you an example. Yeah. Um, working with uh, a junior who told me that the reason why uh, he was motivated to join Vitable is that he wanted to, to learn how to uh, scale and build a business so he can uh, then leave Vitable and create his own business. So he, and, uh, he knows, he told me that uh, his current level of skills um, and the gap um, between his current level and what he would like to, to learn is quite huge. And uh, he wants really to, to learn a lot and to, um, to be put under pressure. Um, so uh, that is something um, that I found quite interesting because if I only um, uh, stopped at the empathy level of making sure that people are not never under pressure, uh, always feeling fine, um, that person will have become demotivated because that yeah. person they don't want deeply to be comfortable. It's not something you, you can do with, uh, with everyone because again, it's all about adaptation. But I think um, um, you don't need uh, uh, deep compassion because you don't even need to understand the motivation of everyone. You have your own motivation and everyone has very different motivation in life. Um, I think it's very hard to pretend that you can understand everyone, but you need to hear uh, everyone and to really take them literally. So the deal that I had with uh, the teammate was, okay, if that's what you want, I will give you the pressure that I believe you need. You tell me when you want to stop, when you want to, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's up to you. But uh, what I found is the more pressure I put, the more motivated he was and the, the uh, faster he learned. And it was not uh, what I would qualify as a typical uh, psychology safe environment for him, but that is kind of deeper reason to be motivated that was important to me. I did not understand the motivation. I had no empathy for it, but I tried to go to dig very deep here. So uh, maybe a bit of controversy in what I said, but uh, experience. You know, I used to I used to be very similar <laughs> back in my early career. Right? I I wanted to do everything. I yeah. wanted to get my hands dirty on every project. I wanted to re-architect everything. I wanted to do, <laughs> and, and you know, you know, I, I was junior. I wanted to learn. I I had I had the hunger, right. And mm. now whenever I see that in a human being, I don't go, hey, I'm, I'm giving this person too much because I know that person's not going to be able to deliver on the 10 things he wants to do. But if he wants to dabble in those 10 things and he can bring some energy to the team, I will position people around him to catch him when he falls or her. Yeah. Uh, apologies for using that, that pronoun. Um, <laughs> and uh, catch them when they fall and uh, jump in there and say, let's, let's finish this together. And, Get there, you know, but but finding those energetic people like that, it's very hard. Like there's a lot. I think you know there's probably one out of ten or one out of 
50 or one out of a hundred, you know, it's very rare. You find these people that I just want to re-architect everything. We could do a better job. (laughs) You're like, okay, cool. I love your energy. As long as you hit your OKRs, I don't care what you do outside of that. (laughs) And how can I support you? Because this is the culture we want to build in the team. And we want to be able to run as fast as we can. And if we break some things, as long as we don't just, you know, destroy company brand and, you know, the, the fundamentals, we should be able to of do course. that. And uh, I, I've only met a handful of those people in my sort of leadership career. And I will always, and I'll, 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 I'll probably dread saying these words in 10 years' time because I'm probably getting too old and not having enough energy to keep up with these people. But I'll always try and support those people and build around them because they can really kick a lot of goals really fast. It might not be the right goals, <laughs> but... It's hard to find that energy these days, and I love those yeah. people. Well, I can empathise completely um, with that, Chris. In fact, I think I was that junior developer. Um, so I was the one that used to come in and want to rebuild and re-architect everything. Um, but, of course, when I did it, it was for the better. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I've always uh, – that, I find that a really tough balance. I know we're talking specific – it may be specific uh, with engineering, but I think it, it spans all different uh, domains as well, with, you know, sales, marketing, design, or any other – um, uh, skill. Um, that's a. I've found that a, a very uh, tough balance, and it may be because I've spent a lot of time in startups where you don't necessarily have that much time uh, to shoulder all the rearchitectures. Um, but but just that balance, because you know, you know, they say uh, you know, experience isn't something you realise the value of until you have it. Um, and I and I think I realise that uh, that now. And uh, with that experience comes a lot of pattern recognition. You know, you see patterns repeating over and over and over and over again and so you know how much how much do you let uh, the younger more junior um, members of the team uh, kind of experiment in areas and you know uh, get to understand themselves in, in ways that you you know probably isn't going to work out right because you've seen it happen before um, so so now how much leeway do you actually give to those people that are kind of just learning the ropes you know how far do you let it go That's yeah. a, a challenge for me yeah, that's so actually rem- such a. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say about <laughs> one, one, one little story about my uh, sort of back about six years ago. So before, when I was just a team lead, right, I had to do some stuff really fast, and we. Were, this was to do with software delivery. And this was a DevOps thing. We had to go from deploying the solution in Dev to now staging in production. So I just did this with make files, and it was nasty. It was. It was it was horrible, but the solution that was sort of handed to me was just a bunch of shell scripts that did not scale to multiple environments. So I just didn't make files to add a bit of structure, a bit of a bit of repeatability to the environment. And I remember when I hired uh, my my lead to to sort of take over this domain and start actually building it. He was definitely better than me as an engineer uh, from a depth point of view, but he was like, I want to rewrite all this in Terraform. And I said, that's fine. You can. It's going to take you years. And I did this in a few days just to solve this problem. But I, yes, I agree with you. This is rubbish. We want to replace it. And it took him about a year, but we eventually got it all the Terraform. And I remember then when we hired, uh, you know, then he hired a person in his team. And that guy went to him and said, all the stuff you've written is rubbish and I want to replace it. And I just, I remember him coming to me. He goes, so this is how you felt about the make files. And I said, yes. (laughs) Hundred percent. This is exactly right, um, and, and I'm glad that you're going through this. But it was really good to see that over the the, the course of that sort of 
I did something really quickly. He got to replace it. And then seeing somebody else a bit junior than him or a bit younger than him with a bit more energy coming in and say, we could do a better job and taking mm. it and seeing those generational jumps in the, the architecture and, the, and, the, and that. And we all supported it during that. And we sort of praised it once they rep- replaced our, you know, our, our sort of tech debt. And it was sort of celebrated as, 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 a, as a part of your rite of passage uh, yeah. in our team as we all grow and we all leveled up through, our, through the ranks. I, I always tell everyone, I become a better leader because of my wife. And I know that might be a bit cliche, cliche for us people who have wives, um, but she's a social <laughs> worker and she taught me not to see black and white. She said, there's mm. lots of grays in the middle. You can't be like, as a programmer, I found I become very yes or no orientated. This Fine, works, <laughs> pass the unit test or doesn't pass the unit test. Um, type of mentality um, but then when you when you're a leader you need all those grays in the middle like and I got that from listening to my social working wife in her calls and I think every tech organization could benefit with a social worker in their team I, I, I literally want to and I, I and I can talk to, to more about that that's I think not a bad idea <laughs> everyone should hire a social worker yeah. tech industry we know we're bad at communicating having a social worker in there coaching you <laughs> through communication conflict and all this it is beautiful yeah. it's, it's amazing i think that if you're open to to hiring something unique i think social worker is the way to go that's a really interesting concept actually definitely yes. oh like instead of like i always found i always found it funny that you know leaders would go on these training courses to do something really left field like something mm. out of out way outside of their mental capacity or like something they're completely new, right? If you try like uh, one of the hardest things for me that I've done in the last two years was build a VC deck um, for, for pitching for VC. And it's because I went from engineer building a solution to now sales and marketing and trying to find those right words. And it took me 30, I think we talked about this a couple of days ago, but it took me like 32 iterations over this 15 slide point to make it right and it was the hardest thing i've ever done and i'm like if you have the budget and if i had the budget i would have just hired the person who could write that better and help me break it down and work with me and they could lead the charge and i would put the content in and they would help simplify it and make it more marketable Uh, but then in our day-to-day work right we have these conflicts and these things and as leaders and as new leaders you might not have the conflict resolution skills yet but then we have to just do it. And I'm like, well, at these big companies with big budgets, they should just hire somebody to help mediate those types of relationships and those types of things. And I think that would really help people grow their companies. But they're like, of course, it's not directly assigned to a deliverable and it would be an intangible type of resource to your team. It's hard to measure. I think it is important to recognize, you know, I think actually, Rob, that's um, kind of like a crossroads that you guys are at Q Control, isn't it? Uh, in terms of like discovering, I think one of the questions you brought to the table was pretty much around what is a team lead versus a tech lead. And then it kind of comes down to understanding like what are these people's sort of leadership responsibilities and as companies grow those leaderships and hierarchy sort of functions and ladders they change 
Um, it's about trying to recognize, okay, like when do you need to change? And, you know, when do you need to bring in someone else to take over those things? Exactly what you mentioned, Chris, is like, um, I think, Rob, do you want to tell us a bit about that little transition you're going through where you've got your tech leads um, and they're kind of moving more into staff engineers? Isn't that what you were, you were, your kind of little challenge at the moment is around that, which kind of ties nicely into what you said there, Chris? Yeah, I, I think so. And it, it also ties into, you know, the conversation around, you know, uh, can people be leaders or, or should or should they yeah. be leaders? Um, and exactly. I know, I know it's it's framed in terms of uh, tech leads versus team leads, but it's it's not it's not something that's um, that's just relegated to the realms of, of engineering or technology. Um, I think it's a, I think it's across the board um, in terms of um, how you actually become a leader. Um, so you know, I, I I don't know if anyone here are, are fans of the the docu series Vikings, but there's a Ragnar quote. Oh my god, I loved it. <laughs> Love Ragnar. Power is only given to those who are prepared to lower themselves um, to pick it up. Now, I don't think it's, uh, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily as dire as that, and I'm pretty sure in all the companies that we work in, um, you know, leadership's not like, not like that at all. But if you think about how how we actually yeah. become leaders. You know, myself, you know, started off, you know, just as a, a junior mid developer, and and you kind of just you um. Um, you know, you, you actualize, you, you think, okay, well, I guess the path for me is, you know, mid, senior, lead, CTO. That's that's what I've got to do, right? Um, yeah. But it's not necessarily the path. And, and if you think about how people actually become uh, are promoted and how I myself promote people. <laughs> you yeah. Know, you look at um, in the team, in a, it could even be a sales team. It doesn't have to be an engineering team, it could be a sales team. You look at your 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 most competent um, and and uh, best performer, um, you know, yeah. in engineering will be, you know, who's the who's the best architect and the best coder? Who gets, you know, they're, they're constantly getting the most respect um, and admiration because they're they're delivering that their, their architectures are, are so thoughtful. Um, they can write, uh, you know, what what would take a junior to write in in twenty lines, they write in one elegant line. You know, and you go, wow, this person's great. Right, you're a lead now. Um, yeah. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, they're not doing that anymore. Um, um, <laughs> and they're not happy, probably. That's a liminal point, right? That's that's yeah. where you're on that you're on that peak, and you're thinking, okay, which way am I going? Now, I I think it's a it's a common story for engineers. Mm-hmm. I know that when they're promoted into a leadership role, um, you um, you can quite often retreat back into the code because you yeah. realize almost immediately that oh, this isn't just something on the side of my coding day job, um, it's a completely and utterly different job, you know, yeah. with a completely and utterly different sets of, of, it's a different role with different responsibilities and a different skill set. Um, and then I think that's just, you're, you're essentially practicing at that point and then you're making that decision, which way do I go? Do I go mm-hmm. all into leadership or do I go back into coding? And now that's, uh, and, and this is, this is certainly um, uh, something that's happening with Q-Control now because, you know, like I said, we, we started five years ago uh, with, uh, you know, just, a, just the CEO and myself and, and started hiring up um, and we're reaching the 100 mark now and I'm starting to see some of our tech leads in particular uh, think, mm, I think I'd actually like to go back and become an individual contributor. I'm not really interested in the people leadership, um, you know, uh, 
part anymore. Um, and so now we're just trying to sort of grapple and, and thinking, you know, okay, is, is it something we're doing wrong? Is it something wrong with the role? Is it, you know, what, how can we structure this to make it actually work as we scale? That's the challenge right now. Brilliant. What are you thinking, Chris and Elias? Like how, well, I personally don't think you've made a mistake. Um, an opportunity yeah like I think it's not something that's gone wrong I think it's just a natural growth in a company and it, and it happens um but yeah I'd love to get your both your uh, ideas and input there well I think we talked about this a few like like when we started talking about this topic but I've been weaponized for still being hands-on and I'm like I'm still hands-on because that's my hobby and I love coding and I love learning yeah. I love seeing the different languages and how they can benefit each other, the synergy. But I don't want to write APIs. I don't want to do a website. I don't want to do any of that. Like I'd much rather lead the team in the like because I can get more accomplished and I get more I get more out of it personally leading the team or even executing a strategy, um, building the strategy, interfacing with C levels, interfacing with uh with my peers to build out those roadmaps and seeing it accomplished. That's what I want to do as a job. Personally, mm-hmm. uh, I've never been at that crossroads where I've gone to want to go backwards. I've always wanted to go more into people's side. Um, but I do understand why people don't like, you know, like that. And I guess uh, my only advice for people out there is if you do get faced with an opportunity, try and put in, uh, set yourself some goals. Make sure that you, you, very, you talk to your management saying, listen, I do want to become a lead. Here's what I think the lead looks like. And if I don't, if it doesn't feel like that, I'm going to go back to my, you know, coding skills and maybe I can do, maybe take on my own sort of projects and execute them in, you know, independently rather than working a part of a team and have that structure and to have that conversation. And that way it's mm-hmm. not a failure thing. It's a test and learn. Like I want to try this yeah. out to see if I actually like it. And I haven't been given the opportunity in the rest of my life, like in my career. Uh, and it's harder to go find okay, go, I'm going to just move over to that team lead because you don't have the experience too. You're not going to be able to jump that. So you, I think you should, should put in some some guardrails so you don't fail and sort of fall flat on your face. And you're just having those one-on-ones and you're going and you, you're talking to your, your leaders and your management about, here's where I'm struggling, here's your advice. I find that, um, and, and back to your point where you promote the highest person to the lead, I always see coming to a new organization and going, oh, so they're not a leader. They got promoted to management. And you see that very clearly. Like, you know, there's some people that don't learn the leadership skills. They just are managers. And I tell you now, it's so hard to work with those people. And it's just like, okay, you're micromanaging me here. What for? <laughs> like, what is the outcome you're trying to do? You know, tell me the outcome yeah. you want and tell, give me that and I can deliver that. So there's been some times <laughs> where I just – you know, in the last couple of years where I'm trying to find where my place in Sydney, um, where I've actually just taught my manager <laughs> how to manage me um, because I had more, more, more experience than, than, than them. Uh, and this, and then I'm just contracting now just till I find my right fit. Cause I, I, I want to find a place I want to stay at 10 years. No, I think, yeah. What you're, I think where you're going with it was, cause it's actually my analogy as well of what Rob is trying to achieve is to kind of take these engineers that you gave the opportunity to, to be tech leads and to yeah. lead from people, you know, perspective as well as getting, being that person that just cuts code as well. Um, 
And it does take a little point of to go, okay, do I really want this? Um, and there's obviously elements of the people's leadership side of it that they probably don't like, but it's trying to understand what support maybe that they need like for their growth as a people leader. You know, sometimes it might be a bit like, oh, I don't want to ask for help with that. This is a bit, I just can't get my head around this piece of the leadership side of it. So it might not even be, you know, go and hire just people that are just team and people leaders might just be reflecting uh, uh, with your staff engineers or the the tech leads that are there now to understand what areas do they want to grow in? What are they passionate about? What do they not enjoy? Um, And then it might be, yeah, okay, maybe they don't want to be. Um, And then you could go to market and look at kind of carving the role around people. It's a lot of the lot of these team lead and tech lead roles. It it does, they might be different in different teams, um, but they bring different values that of areas that you need covered um you know and then if you have a support with a really great staff engineer on one team and then this this person is one of people leadership so you get just a real true people leader that can communicate well with the business and the staff engineer and you might have another staff engineer on the other team that has got great elements to be a team lead but a people leader but just needs a little bit of support you know yeah. you can kind of balance it out um yeah, I would, I would, agree, I would agree with that. I think um, I think what happens a lot of the time, though, is you will there will be people that potentially would have made great leaders, but but yeah. realise that potential uh, because they didn't really take um, the dive. And if I think back to why I um, you know got into into tech, it was kind of you know way back in the days, kind of during the dot com boom. And the thing that I, that, <laughs> that that sort of grabbed me was the instant gratification of it. I could write a line of code, refresh the browser. And, Holy shit! What just happened? Um, I just made that happen. Um, now, you don't, you know, you don't get that instant gratification with leadership. You know, it's a, it's a yeah. big burn, um, but it can be just it can be actually more gratifying to be able to you know set that context, set that vision, yeah. set those wheels in motion, and eventually see that you know the fruits of that work. It is a longer burn. You don't get that instant gratification, but it's still very gratifying. Brilliant. You need a lot of grit as a as a yeah. leader, like. You got to remember why we're here, what we're trying to do. Are we? Are, are we? Are we? We're making progress, and then when you have those setbacks, you can't let it derail you too much, and you need yeah. to just shrug it off and then get back to the grind. Um, yeah. Uh, so grit is, I think, I think you hear that a lot in performance books as well. Uh, when you go through a lot of grit, you get better, you get better resilience and everything like that. But it's a trial by fire. You need to actually experience it. You can't can't really read about it. Um, you need to just start doing it and want to keep going and yeah as a leader like and i think that's why a lot of these tech people want to go back to the to the just you know contributors is because they don't get that cycle time of instant gratification and and it's sort of mm. those are those little uh what do, what do they call it those uh the little uh, what is like wins or rushes. yeah endorphin rushes <laughs> in the brain when you see something completed and you tick it off it's a little bit harder yep. and i, I guess when you're making that transition, just write down those things to get that little tick box feeling so you can then see that. Absolutely. Like, you know, build a graph, mm-hmm. see that leadership, get somebody to, you know, to manage your JIRA board or something like that, um, lead it type of thing rather than do it. Yeah. And recognize like the little wins of like exactly what you discussed earlier on, uh, Chris, about that um, engineer you had, you know, you're able to get his, fam- you know, his family back together. Like that's a win. Um, and then uh, as well as part of the framework, Elias, you were talking about, it was all about 
one piece that was the support piece. Um, so then it's also recognizing, okay, how are we going to transition a staff engineer who's like, you know, a striker in a football team and they score a goal, that's their endorphins. And now they're kind of gone back and now they're like maybe the goalkeeper. You know what I mean? Uh, and a lot of yeah. that kind of gets overshadowed. So it's recognizing what makes them tick and what keeps them motivated. Um, and it might just be that, you know, Rob, that you're like, okay, these actually, yeah, we're going to reward you for these. These are wins here. You know, maybe that's what they might need. Um, yeah, what's your take right. on it? No, no, you're right. I think um, I think maybe maybe one of the problems, particularly as you scale, is you you're not expected to do one or the other. You're expected to both to do both things oh, yeah. uh, and both just as competently as 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 one and the other. Um, yeah. So so yeah, and and perhaps. Uh, because of that, because because you would lean more towards the technical execution side, perhaps the focus is on rewarding that part rather than rewarding the leadership part. And I think that's probably something to think of. Like I say, particularly particularly in a company that's scaling and that's going through that transition, yep. you're at that liminal um, sort of time in the business. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it has to do with really the, uh, setting the right expectation. Um, like uh, we've seen that, like uh, the way for us to make sure that uh, every manager, uh, uh, tech manager, tech leads, um, everyone that is managing uh, people in 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 uh, different department or setup, uh, the way for us to make sure that uh, the environment of Vitable was an environment where everyone can feel really motivated and committed to make sure that this leadership is not something that is personal, but something that is almost become a process for the company. So every layer of the of the hierarchy uh, has to uh, apply this kind of framework that we have of setting the conveying the vision of the company, setting the right mm -hmm. expectation, and I think that's really the core of that. And many management issues are from here because from the moment you set the expectation, um, everyone can understand. Okay, so this is what is being rewarded now in my position as a leader. This is what is expected from me as a leader uh, or as an employee. And then yes, the support piece and the accountability piece is where the, the magic happens, I believe. Um, and I think that will be really my, my, my conclusion here. I don't think leadership, I believe anyone can become a leader because leadership is not really about you, it's about them. And I don't think people can really, uh, I don't think anyone needs the threat of uh, a seek and the hope of reward to be motivated. I think people just want to be like set up for success. Um, and when you truly do that, people can become self-driven and, and they will drive the company for you. And I think you cannot really motivate people. I think the thing that we've seen working is that you can create an environment where everyone can be called, become uh, self-driven. I think that's really important. What about when it goes wrong? Like we've we've talked about right now Brilliant. about hey, it's been good having these people, and then we 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 trust them. We're going to be flexible around them. But sometimes you hire somebody in your team who's yeah. not. I, I wouldn't say it's a personal thing, but they might not be the right fit for the organization or what they want to do. It might not line up um, to to the company goals. I think when I had to to sort of let go the first person, that was something I was. Didn't ever want to do in my career, but I know that I had to learn that skill of letting people go. Mm -hmm. um, and it was all because it made it harder. It made it harder to fire this individual, not because he 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 should stay at the company or uh, or he should go. It wasn't the right fit for this individual, but because I didn't put that framework in to set him up for success, it dragged it on longer than it needed to go. Mm -hmm. um, so. 
we in, I remember this vividly because like I, this is something that I want to make sure that I never forget so I can always keep learning from this this part of my career. Um, but we hired him during a very when we were very extremely understaffed. We we had a couple couple people leave really suddenly, and we we're based in Singapore. The lead time to hire somebody in Singapore is three months, so there's a three months notice period um, that you have to give your employees. So yeah. a few people just exited, and HR let them just leave without much notice, and uh, which wasn't very didn't make me very happy uh, because I had to wait three months understaffed so he came along when we were at christmas time a lot of things needed to be done and we had you know uh a lot of crunches to do before code freeze and he just sat back said he could do a lot of things didn't execute wanted to talk about stuff but there was no value added after the Mm. projects and i i got a lot of people from different parts of the organization saying this person's not coming to meetings when he does, he's basically handing the work to the other people in the team to do his job and things like that. So I was like, okay, great. Let's, let's try this. We, we tried to rejig the projects he worked on, what he was doing, how he was doing it over the course of a few months. And we had to give him three months of this trial and error of switching him around and everything like that. But it was, I, it was like, I think I could have done it a lot better if I had that framework in place before he hired. But this was the, he was the first guy we had problems with too. So we only did that. We only put that framework in place because of this sort of mm. I, I, bad hire. I'm not going to call. It, I'm not going to try and skirt around it. He was a bad hire for the team. He created he created bad culture. He, he set us back more than he actually accomplished because mm. of the toxicity. And the frustration from the other members in the team had. So setting up for success is very important, not just for that individual, but for a safety guard for yourself. And to see whether that, you know, those two or three hours that you've only got to know this person during the interview period is going to be the right fit for the organization. Mm. And, and eventually we did have to let him go and he knew it was coming. So he got me right as I was about to pull execute the decision, he said, I'm leaving. I'm like, damn it. Really <laughs> upset about that because I had to do all this stuff to try and keep this guy at the organization, even yeah. though he wasn't the right kid. So it, it was hard. It was the hardest thing, and I think every leader is going to go through this, and everyone, if, if you could learn anything, just have a little bit of a framework for you for the first three months or six months so that way you know how to evaluate him and make sure he's – being able to hit those tech check boxes or her, sorry, I've done that again, uh, and make sure that they're, they're doing these check boxes so that, that way they're feeling that accomplishment, feeling like they're a part of the organization, feel like they're contributing. And if they can't, if they can't, then they know personally themselves it's not, not, not the right fit. And mm-hmm. then you can have that conversation saying, listen, it's not working out. You should look for another job rather than and, yeah. feeling like you're firing them. It's, it's, it's not, it, it changes everything. Like, you know, yeah. it's, it's more collaborative. Like, yeah. 
And what kind of frameworks? Everyone is, everyone's like, I don't want to talk about firing people. I hate firing people because <laughs> everyone does hate firing. I think it's a good thing to talk about, Chris. I think it's I absolutely think it's very important. Um, so I can, um, sorry to jump in, but um, I, I can talk to my experience. I remember my first time having performance, um, run a performance management uh, program with someone. It was probably the most unpleasant um, experience in my career. I even remember going to a job interview once. Um, where um, I was really being interviewed because the the manager interviewing me did not want to want to run a performance management process with a member of staff and wanted was looking to hire someone to do it for them. That's how unpleasant um, an experience it, it can be. Um, but uh, you're touching on a number of things here. I mean, so so uh, we are in Australia. There's employment laws that we're that we're bound by, and different jurisdictions are gonna are gonna be bound by di- different laws. Um, mm-hmm. So so in Australia, you know, there's there's a process that's that's uh, well documented by the Fair Work Ombudsman. In the United States, it's going to be different. In Europe, it's going to be a little bit different, so it's 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 going to change. And if you're if you're a global company, then you're going to need to be mindful of that. Now, I think in terms of um, you know, there's a there's the objective and the subjective uh, measures here. I think the the objective measures, uh, you know, that 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 framework that we speak of should be. I think an important thing is to clearly lay out the role of responsibilities in a job description. That's the first thing. If the employee yeah. has a description and they can see what's required, what's expected, and that that's communicated to them regularly, then there should be no confusion um, about, about what the role and responsibilities are. But then the, the more subjective part is the cultural part. You know, are they are they a good fit um, for the team? Are they getting on well with everyone? Do they communicate in a respectful manner or are they just causing problems all the time? Um, so I know what, what I would you know, if I was going to give any advice to to, to upcoming leaders or, or even current leaders that are in a, in a position like that, I would say take advantage of the take advantage of a six month probation period um, in Australia and make that decision and make it quick. Don't yeah. hesitate during that six month period. If if you know there's going to be problems and if it's not going well, rip off that band aid immediately because you don't want to be dealing with it uh, after they've. Um, uh, past probation and don't think of it uh, you know this is not a personal thing it's it's not for for someone who doesn't belong in a role to stay in that role it's not good for either party it's not good for yeah. you it's not good for you and it's not good for them um you know so you're doing you're doing everyone a favor if you just rip that band-aid off quickly mm-hmm. and I, I do i think when you do sort of take the ownership and responsibility of recognizing it and putting it out there that it, it doesn't have to end in like you know a negative manner you know I've had managers come to me and say, hey, like I've had to let this person go. They weren't right because X, Y, Z, but they're a great person. They've got great skills. Can you help them find them another job? And, you know, it's still, and would still be happy to give reference. It's not right for your company or the culture or the project there and then, but it is, it's, it's about recognizing it earlier and, and uh, not prolonging it because that's yes. when it kind of might turn more toxic or a little bit difficult to deal with. Um, yeah. Uh, have you, you had those? You don't have that. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. I was no, like, go if ahead. You don't put in those 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 things. Like you don't set them up for success. Saying I need you to accomplish these these things. I, these are your responsibilities, and you don't have those checkpoints where you're you're evaluating mm. them. Then you're 100%. being a lazy leader. And I was being a lazy leader not because I wanted to be a lazy leader. It's just I was inundated with work, and it just made it harder. But if mm. you are proactive, you put these things in there. And you're having those conversations, saying here's where your your gaps are, and it's okay that you're not hit it 100%, right? Like, you know, we don't know each other. We're trying to find how to work better together. But mm. if they're doing zero out of that, 
then it makes it a lot easier the, the egg to say, okay, see you later. Mm-hmm. Uh, you won't feel bad about it. <laughs> it you've, you've tried everything yeah. in your in your 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 remit to help set this person up for success. Mm-hmm. And if they do hit 100%, you go the opposite way where you can actually give them more responsibilities. Mm-hmm. You can then maybe even plot their career over 12 months' time and say, okay, mm-hmm. I could actually see this person even growing even further in this organization. It makes a lot of things easier. Just having that in a bit planned out. So don't be a lazy leader is my advice. And I think it does kind of come down to, I think, our next point. Um, I think, Ilias, you, you'll probably be able to give some input as well around this. Is is definitely around yeah. recognizing your framework, Chris, definitely to get set someone up for success. But then making sure that you actually are communicating what what needs to be done and, and, and good leadership communication across the board, I think is really important, isn't it? And by communications, like, does the person clearly understand what the expectation is um, as well? Yeah, definitely. And I think the question is, is so good. Like, uh, what if things go wrong? Um, like when you try to hire someone that you believe is a great cultural fit, when you try to train that person, when you try to, to do everything, but it's still not working, I think actually uh, two things can happen. Uh, many times, um, they actually believe that they are amazing and everything is on point. Yeah. And it is always uh, underestimated. Uh, and when that happens, it's it's actually 100% because of the manager, because the expectations were not uh, shared in a clear way. Uh, and that, as you say, the manager has been uh, lazy in providing the right support and making sure that uh, everyone is, is being kept accountable. Um, and I think that's really one of the main things that I've seen happen. And then, um, if it's not the case, um, if the expectations are clear, and if the uh, um, team member or employee knows that things are not going well, um, what I've, in my experience, um, what I found is actually a, a misalignment in the in the core motivations. Um, when you try to understand why a person is is motivated, the question that I like to ask is, uh, what do you want to do in in in, in five years? Who do you want to be? And how is our company or this position, this role, helping you on your journey? And sometimes you realize that um, they're just losing the time. So even if you try to do uh, everything, everything you can. Uh, it's better to, to, for everyone to leave it here. Uh, but sometimes you, you, you realize that actually uh, um, the employee understands that actually uh, uh, there is a personal win in, in helping the, the company uh, thrive. And that's why you kind of realign things. So I yeah. think those are the two things that I've seen happen. Yeah, and I find that awesome. interesting as well. That's really relevant. That um, you know, you're saying uh, generally if you if you're letting someone go and they're surprised, then you know you know it's your fault. I think something that I learned earlier on is that you know, um, unlike wine, bad news does not get better with age. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, brilliant. I remember uh, actually doing a course a number of years ago. It was called Fierce Conversations, and that really just taught you to just be. Um, I guess be brutally honest in many ways yep. in these conversations. Um, you know, it's not a bad thing. You're not uh, you're not going to hurt someone's feelings. Honesty is always, you know, as they say, the best policy. Um, I think when it when it comes to leadership, be respectful. You know, don't be mean. Um, yeah, be honest. You have to be able to have these honest and frank and fierce conversations. Yeah, be very okay. very clear. Right, don't leave any wiggle room or room for interpretation. Yeah. You know, say you, you you might be doing a bad job. <laughs> I know, that's probably a bad yeah. example. But, you know, I, I was actually telling that to my teenage daughter right now. We had to need need to talk to her new boss about pays and stuff like that. I said you need to use 
assertive language here and be very clear what you're asking. Uh, yeah. And 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 you got to make it very clear. You got to use effective communication. Uh, and I guess whenever I'm writing an email just on that, I'm making sure I'm telling the person exactly what I want from them and, mm-hmm. and, and making it very, very, very transparent. This is what I need. <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's a very hard skill. And it takes, and, uh, you know, it, a lot of practice and it's an infinite game. Mm-hmm. You can always get better at communication and mm-hmm. leadership. And then also to put in the other important points into how you communicate is have an empathy, isn't it? Uh, and making sure you're being respectful, even though it does need sometimes to be very like, you know, clear, constructive, maybe sometimes a little bit cutthroat, but it has to like come with those other elements um, that we discuss through this whole kind of podcast is, is the empathy and, um, you know, understanding as well that you've, you've clearly communicated something, but also that you've taken ownership and they've been given the responsibility and and where you know where is sort of the the, the problem um and who's done everything they can and then like you said rob you might come to a point then where it's a mutual agreement that yeah it's not working out and thank you very much and you know you've enjoyed the experience is not you're not walking away with a you know i suppose an awful experience so um it's a very good topic actually to touch on i didn't even think of it um but excellent any other input on that one I think that the the end game, um, if you if you're past probation and then you do have to enter into into some sort of performance management um, process, then the end game is always to uh, to have a good outcome. Um, yeah. That good outcome. That that good outcome. It could be either way. The good outcome is either that there's a turnaround and the employee yes. is engaged and satisfying expectations and performing um, to to the level expected, um, or you come to a mutual understanding. Um, that yeah. the role just isn't for them. It's it's not good for either party yeah. in part ways. Absolutely incredible. Okay, um, just in terms of the the kind of question that you brought to the table there, Rob, was to try and understand how to kind of go through the transition of you know tech leads becoming team leads, and there's a need to be sort of different. Um, sort of roles created as well. Um, you also yeah. s- mentioned um, recognizing sort of different leadership needs and roles within the company as that grows. Um, what What's your kind of experience around that at the moment of like, okay, things becoming, becoming a little bit, maybe people growing out of roles or growing back into other roles as other responsibilities come up? Like how are you tackling that at the moment and what's sort of your... Questions. Uh, I was hoping to get the answers here, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but, um, I mean, I think we, we spoke uh, when we spoke before about this. We were talking about just the different the different needs of the organisation mm. from you know zero um, to scale up. I think I think they're very different. I mean, if you've ever if you've ever experienced being at the very beginning of a company, you know that you do everything. There's two people. You share everything between the two of yeah. you, and then you gradually hire um, more people in into the more specialised roles. Um, and 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 then you you become more specialised, um, and then particularly in, in leadership as well, you become more specialised. You know, the very beginning of a company, you may be very hands on, um, very tactical. Um, and then as the company grows, your your leadership style becomes more strategic, more yeah. like uh, the same before, more about vision setting, more about you know setting expectations, more about setting those guardrails, um, yeah. and bring that down. Now, 
with the um, with what's happening at, at Q Control right now, and I assume many companies that are, that yeah, are man, you know, it's kind of a very, growth like that. It's very common, yeah, definitely. It's very, very common, you know that we've got um, we've got uh, tech leads, uh, like I said, that are that are you know preferring the individual uh, contributor path, and and you know even just through the the process of, of chatting about this today, you know the. The things I'm thinking of are, I, I think, you know, we could probably do a better job about being more clear about the nature of the leadership part of the role. What does yes. that actually mean? How does it differ? What are some of the different, you know, uh, skills? What, are, what is the role and responsibility um, of a leader um, in an organisation of this size and in the particular area of the company that you're in? What does that actually mean? You, not, not, yeah. uh, not um, uh, these are the technical skills that you need to have and you need to be, you know, developing code and making pull requests and uh, reviewing yeah. requests, but, you know, and, and then just going, oh, and you need to lead as well, by the way, um, but being very explicit, you know, about that and, and sort of, yeah. you know, codifying that in job descriptions I think will be a, a good thing going forward. And luckily we've just hired our, our first uh, people ops manager, uh, Caitlin, hi, if you're listening, um, and, and she'll be working very hard to sort of codify all this um, going forward now. So I think we're probably in good shape. You have awesome. a lot of things, a lot of technical debt to fix up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, um, I'm, like the one thing I've never heard an organisation say before is uh, we need less good leaders. I've never heard anyone say that. So, you know, we need good leaders. Everyone's, you know, I would hire a good leader any day of the week. Um, like if you're a good leader, the, it's a very good skill to have in any different role. Uh, mm. it, 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 I, to me, it's more of a mentality thing than, uh, than a, a title, if that makes sense. Like you can mm. be a great leader as just a, as a senior engineer. Um, and, and, you know, you, you could be mentoring juniors and things like that. That's That's leadership skills that you need um so you, no one's going to say no to that uh so yeah that's, yeah. A, that's all i want to say there <laughs> excellent Elias. any final little inputs or anything else you'd like to add to, to today's topic nothing for me i think um i agree with the chris conclusion um yeah i think we, we covered everything yeah, I think so. I think I'll take a lot away from today myself as well and even add it into to day-to-day -day, uh, processes. Definitely your, I made notes on Ilias's framework that he's implemented. Um, and then just a lot around sort of the, the the other really interesting topics and insights of how you guys have overcome different challenges as well. So I'm sure a lot of people will take many pointers and tips from this. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure, guys. So really, really appreciate your thoughts. Um, and all of your insights. So um, yeah, thank you so much, guys. So I think that is, um, we'll wrap it up there today and leave it at that. Is it right. okay? Thank you, Sean. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, Chris and Liz.